welcome to another special edition of Bruisers Breakdowns and Beards. It is Sunday, November 1st, 2020. I am your host, Michael Reed. And of course, as always, we've got Kevin in Dallas here with us. Hi. And we are joined by a very, very special guest. I could not be more excited to have him on. Uh, I've been a big fan of his for, for several years now. Uh, got to see him at my very first independent wrestling show. So it's uh, somebody's very near oh, and dear really? to my heart. That's awesome. And uh, it, I mean, there's, there's so much. I can't wait. I'm really excited for you guys to see his interview. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jackson Stone, everybody, is yeah. here with us. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Um, so Sundays are uh, actually one of my favorite days of the week. I usually spend it with my parents nice. uh, and our dog, Chi, kind of just hanging out, watching football, doing whatever. So I'm doing really good. Glad to hear it. So I, th- I thank you for t- giving your time to, to hang out with us today. So I'm, I really appreciate that. For sure. So uh, before we get started, uh, I, I do want to bring up, I think you and I have, have interacted on Twitter quite a bit over the years. Um, and sometime last year, I can't remember what brought it up, but uh, for, for our independent wrestling fans out there know that uh, one of the, what I think is cooler, but one of the more you know interesting or obnoxious things that some independent wrestlers do is when they come out to the ring, they will have the ring announcer give this long introduction of just all sorts of nicknames or, or uh, tout their accomplishments. And I think you had mentioned on Twitter that like you'd never done that and, or nobody had ever done that for you. And so I just kind of threw out there that I, I could make that list. <laughs> um, so I want to read off for our audience here. This is a list I did a little over a year ago uh, to, you know, for, for Jackson to give him some ideas when he came out to the ring. And this just, I mean, we'll just kind of give you an idea of, of what you're uh, about to, to get yourself into. So uh, we started with uh, the effing star of the effing show. I don't know what the effing part was in there for, but. Uh, Wheeler Yuta's freshest roommate, <laughs> the king of Quick Trip, Ooh, donuts yeah. make him go nuts. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, the finest damn cup of coffee in professional wrestling. Uh, not one of Session Moth Martinez's kids. Uh, <laughs> just here to get this bread. Uh, the greatest wrestler to have resided in Dallas, Texas. The greatest wrestler to have resided in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Your mom's favorite wrestler, the man who wants you to know that hashtag you are loved, the master of wrestling burner accounts, uh, the circus clown slayer, the greatest baseball player that has ever wrestled. No, there's no one else. Don't bother to look it up. The ish and the legit shoot badass Jackson Stone, everybody. (laughs) Wow. Damn. That's, That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I I mentioned the first time I saw you, I, I can remember it vividly, was uh, the very first pro wrestling religion show uh, at the Carrollton Plaza Arts Center in Carrollton, Texas. Uh, you wrestled John Morrison that night. Mm. Um, that was my very first indie show. That was a pretty awesome card that night. Yeah. Uh, but I remember you came out to the ring and you got the entire place to go quiet while you were taking your jacket off. And I just thought that was the most amazing damn thing I'd ever seen. So. <laughs> oh, man. That honestly seems like so long ago because that's like <laughs> not something that I would ever think about doing right now in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing, though. That was a really fun match. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You won by count out, and it was just, 
it was uh, they, they had a really nice moment with a fan afterwards that uh, John Morrison had him come in the ring and, and celebrate with them. Um, I'd had a weird interaction with John before the show started, so I was rooting for you right off the bat anyways. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a lot of fun. But, um, you know, I think I saw you getting a couple PWR shows after that and then uh, at MPX, and, and I, I pestered you enough on Twitter that we, we've kind of been like social media, you know, friends ever since. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad friends. You, yeah, I'm really glad you came on today. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, so I'm, you know, we're several minutes into it before I get to it, but I was inspired by one of your uh, recent interviews that you did on uh, Jackson Talks, everybody, your uh, YouTube series, and uh, kind of wanted to start off and say, how, how legitimately, how are you doing right now? Oh, thank you for using my, uh, my question. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess for a little caveat about that, I think that question is like the most important question in the world, but also it's like the most used question that's not answered honestly. Um, and I, I'm, I think I'm not trying to say when I ask that question is like to spill everything about your whole life, because it's also very important about who you share your intimate details with, um, because that's also very important depending on how that person will receive it and all these other things. Um, but just, I think a little bit more in depth conversation regarding that question could really lead to some good conversation. Um, and I think conversation really is the key to solving a lot of the things that were going on in our world today. Um, so besides that, I'll actually answer your question. Um, I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. Um, I, uh, yeah, things are going very well for me. Um, I, uh, I enjoy Sundays. Like I said before, it's very nice to spend time with my family. Um, if you know anything about my personal life, it's very important to me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's it's good. I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing much better. I, I think our, our video audience will are getting the first look at my face in about a month or so. That's uh, so just kind of letting them know that I'm doing much better. Uh, October has been a weird month for me and that I, I had a, a bout with Bell's palsy starting off the month. And, uh, you know, it, it took a mental health hit. I mean, being genuinely honest about it, that's why that's why I was staying off camera for a little bit. It was a, uh, it's really weird to see a live look at my face not behaving the way it's supposed to. So it, it was kind of extra jarring. But uh, you know, uh, the you know, Kevin and, and Dallas held held the fort and with their gorgeous faces and uh, kept everybody entertained. No. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I'm I'm doing much better. Kevin, so. do you hear this guy? Yeah, he's spouting a lot. At least about me. I don't know. He got you down, but I'm, I know. I'm just. I know. I. It's crazy, and you know, I can tell how excited Kev or Mike was to to do this because man, like he's setting new standards of expectation after this because like he's got a he's got a spreadsheet. He's got his research that he shared with us for us to be ready for this um, for this podcast today, and like I. It, it's kind of like you probably know what I mean when I talk about like the enthusiasm that somebody has when we're talking about something that like it means something to them. It kind of translates in how they talk and just their face lights up and th stuff like that. And that's kind of how even over text I could tell that's how Mike was about getting you on today. And right off the bat, I kind of get why because I like. I, I knew just off, you know, anybody could probably tell just looking at your socials or anything that you're like a well-spoken dude. You know what you're talking about and you kind of have 
purpose in the things that you're saying or the things that you're doing. And right off the bat from the question, from the first question, how are you? Uh, I had never heard somebody like actually break down like that question or to explain like, you know, it really is a question that we all use like every single day, multiple times a day, but does it ever like really get answered? You know, cause I immediately thought to myself when I'm asked, Oh, how are you? I usually respond with I am. And that's kind of like where I leave it is, well, whether I'm good or whether I'm bad, I'm still here. You know, I'm still going through it. And I kind of just, whether I, whether I deliberate further or not, I kind of just leave it there. Uh, so I am also very excited to have you on because this is the first experience for me uh, meeting somebody, somebody else in the business kind of in this fashion on a podcast, on a Zoom call. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, from myself, from Mike, from Kev, thank you very much for being here, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited for sure. This is, this is cool. Yeah. So... You know, I guess to give our audience a little bit of backstory, and I, I did, did some research on you. Like, I didn't know you actually, you started wrestling back in 2015, um, and you actually, I didn't know you trained through uh, MPX Wrestling's program under Stephen Kirby and Frankie Fisher. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's, that's actually where you started. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I know we, and we mentioned... I always wanted to ask, you, you mentioned being a minor league baseball player under the, the Braves organization, but I didn't know what position did you play? <clears throat> I played first base, yeah. First, very nice. Yeah, job was to hit home runs, didn't hit enough. That's why I'm talking to you guys <laughs> on this podcast about wrestling. <laughs> you know, it's I've always had an appreciation for first base. I mean, George Brett converted to, from third to first, but when I by the time I kind of learned about him, he was already a first baseman, so I've always enjoyed it. Um, I, I was a fun position for me. I obviously just wanted to hit. That was the only thing that I really cared about. <laughs> um, the first few years of my college career, my defense was so bad, but I was hitting like all right that they put me in the lineup. And the last couple of years, I played good defense, so I wasn't as much of a liability. But mm-hmm. yeah, nice. And so I, I guess my question is what what trans had to transition from baseball to wrestling, and and obviously other people have done it, but like what what led for you to make that transition? Um, well, I kind of always knew that I wanted to be, uh, a res- not always, I guess when the first time I saw wrestling, I knew from that point on that I wanted to be a wrestler. Um, but baseball was definitely my first love. Um, I mean, I played baseball basically every single day from age five to age 22. Um, and when baseball ended, it was actually quite a relief. Cause I was like, you know, I, I, I always told myself that I was going to, pursue baseball until someone told me I wasn't good enough. And that's basically what had happened. Um, and it was kind of a relief. I'm like, okay, this journey is ended. I know exactly. I'm, I'm fortunate enough and lucky enough to know exactly what I want to do next. Cause that's a lot of struggle for most athletes is that we, we, uh, think that our whole lives are dependent on what we do as athletes. And so when we lose that and as it gets taken away from us, as we can see with a lot of wrestlers during the pandemic, something that we define ourselves by gets taken away from us and we don't have anything else. And so I was lucky enough to be able to jump right into uh, something else. And at that point in my life, I wasn't very in tune with like all the stuff that I am now. So I just was lucky to be able to hop into wrestling. Um, But the parallels between baseball and and wrestling are like the same, right? It's like a a complete grind going from, you know, whether you're in high school 
and then college and then the minors you make no money and there's you know very little fans and there's very little stature and prestige and then you know it's the same way you're climbing up the ladders to indie wrestling if your goal is to make it to wwe or whatever the the corporate wrestling company that you enjoy is um and so i think that helped me a lot because in college i was taking like 24-hour bus trips getting off the bus sleeping for eight hours and then playing three game series driving 24 hours back home and then going to school for four days and so when i started doing that in wrestling it was like mm, this is whatever this is cool i enjoyed this this is this part of the camaraderie mm-hmm. building connection with people that enjoy the same thing i do and so the transition for me was super easy and i'm i'm, I'm very lucky about that hey, i'm glad you men- mentioned the, the parallel between like minor league baseball and, and indie wrestling because i i it it seems to make sense that way. Like you are just kind of, it's like a nomad lifestyle. You're just traveling from town to town, you know, doing the next, uh, the next series or the next gig. So, yeah, that's actually really interesting because I, when, when I started getting into it, I kind of used, um, whatever like fine arts background I had, whatever theater background I had, as well as the fact that I had played sports for most of my childhood. And I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of going to be my transition. The travel aspect, I didn't really have a whole lot to pull from. Mm. So to hear that, to like hear that part of, I guess the student athlete on a college level and how that transitions over that to me is like, Oh damn, like they had a busy week especially if they have to go home you know play a three-game series after a 24-hour bus ride like you know wrestlers can relate to that definitely so it's, yeah I'm, that's interesting for me to hear of something outside that transitions in that way yeah absolutely like because i mean i went to a small division one right so if you go to like a big division one everything's a flight and things are taken care for a lot but i didn't have that experience and i had the experience of being at a small division one also being in south dakota right so the first in college baseball you play 56 games and so you got to imagine being in south dakota you can't play a home game until maybe may right Right. and so your first 30 games of a 56 game season are on the road and you can only play on the weekends because obviously you have to go to school during the week Mm -hmm. and so it's it's a lot it taught me a lot about travel and time management and and things like that but one thing i was like extremely scared of when i stopped playing baseball was like the connection aspect like when i played baseball or when i'm in team sports like that's the best part like i'm best friends with the people that i played with and when i got into wrestling i had no idea that it was a team sport in my head i was like oh this is an individual thing i'm not going to build these relationships there's no friendship who am i going to talk to like what like and so that was a great surprise for me hopping into indie wrestling and knowing that like there's people who love the same thing and i didn't even know indie wrestling existed until i saw my first indie wrestling show like three months into training i just thought i was training to go to wwe and they were just going to sign me out of this weird gym school that i was in in dallas and that triple h was going to come and sign me after two days of bumping and i was like this is gonna be great (laughs) yep (laughs) but man so you went to south dakota yeah did you did you grow up there no i I went to high school in plano uh plano west out in like it's in dallas i don't know i don't know where you're from um that's that's crazy i have a bunch of family that grew up in south dakota that's where like my mom grew up that's where her family comes from south dakota so i have a lot of family up there really yeah it's it's a great place i mean yes it's a great place for school i guess but you know (laughs) uh, it's like it depends on where in south dakota you're gonna go yeah yeah i mean it's the school is like 45 minutes from sioux falls which is like the quote-unquote big city i guess Yeah. yeah Um, and it's the pro, your prototypical college town, right? When there's no schooling, the the town is dead. But 
for college and for baseball and for what I experienced, it was amazing, and I loved every second of it. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool, man. I didn't see. I'm already learning. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. I aim to teach. That's all. Yeah. I, that's all you do. You're doing teach great, man. It's, it's the, the two skills I have. <laughs> um, so, I'd like to take a second to talk about MPX wrestling because you train there. You've wrestled there, you know, quite a bit over the years. Uh, I got to, to have. I went a bunch while I lived down there in Dallas, and then I got to take Kevin to a show once. Mm-hmm. It's really um, fun. There's something, it's hard to describe, and I'm hoping somebody who's, who's actually gone through that program and, and has worked at that promotion can kind of help fill in the blanks. Because I've, I've met Richard, who, who runs MPX, and I've been to you know, dozens of shows over the years, but there's, there's just something unique about what MPX does. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, just to kind of, for those who don't know, MPX runs weekly out of uh, the, the MPX Arena, which is a venue they have there in Bedford, Texas. And... Uh, it's changed up a little bit in the last year or so. They used to run like themed events, but but they run weekly, and that's kind of unheard of in on the independent wrestling scene. Uh, so I'm just hoping you can kind of elaborate a bit on on your experience with MPX. Um, yeah, my experience with MPX has been uh, amazing, really. Actually, um, Stephen Kirby trained me from the ground up. I mean. Uh, and I don't think he gets enough credit, especially in like the DFW area of being a a really high class trainer. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to like be able to travel quite a bit as an indie wrestler over the last five years. Um, and so everything he's taught me has held up against everyone else that I've talked to, whether it be at, you know, any of the places that I've gone to. And I always try to mention that to him and he, he tends not to believe me. Um, (laughs) but you know, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, when I first started, they were running uh, twice a month, which is still wild for indie wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were drawing like 75 to 100 people every week. Um, but there was always like this weird aura around MPX that they were like separate from everything else that was happening in the DFW area. Maybe because they were running more of the shows than not and they were building storylines. Um, and they don't like pay guys as much as normal other shows do. And I think they get a lot of slack for that, but they can't. They, they can't really do that if they're going to run as many times as they're going to run and produce the storylines they're going to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like a give and take for you as a performer, what you want to do and where you see your value at. Would you rather take the money or would you rather build your rep in a story and kind of create more of a full package for yourself? So it really depends. Either way is fine. Um, but they bought a new building or well, they ran out of building in like a, like a, a strip mall. Um, mm-hmm. I think they started like two years ago and they started running every week. Um, they draw about the same. On a really big show, they'll draw like 150, maybe 200 people. Um, and they got a new show name every week. They got posters that come out every week. They have their own network now. Um, there's training that happens there. Um, and guys that graduate from the training school hop right into the shows. So it's right hands-on experience right away. And you usually get dropped into a cool storyline. So you can you know, dig your teeth into something that's like tangible and real. And you can have a range of emotions that you're trying to express and so I have a lot of love for MPX. I mean, normally when indie wrestling is running like it normally does, I don't wrestle there often. Um, but uh, now I've been wrestling there like every week because it's I just trying to get my work in and, and it's fun and it's by my house and <clears throat> I'm in a feud with like these brand new trainees who are like eight matches in and it's very cool. So it's been fun. I have a lot of love wow. for MPX. If you're ever in the area, you should hit the show up for sure. Yep. It was, uh, man, you know, the, the first time I went to the MPX arena, I was kind of taken back because it, it's just, 
I don't dingy's not the right word, but it, it, it's got a it's got a, a like you said like a vibe to it. You just walk in and it just feels different. And then the show starts, you know, and Cody comes out and and you know welcomes the crowd and they 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 run um, you know like intro package videos just like WWE does, kind of catching you up mm-hmm. on what happened in the last week or two. And and there's there's entrance wow. music and everything. It's 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 like it's, it's indie. It's a low mm-hmm. budget kind of version of what you're seeing on tv each week but it's it sounds a lot like nwl without the financial backing of major i was gonna like i get that yeah i get huge nwl vibes from hearing all that because that was a lot of the similar like there was a lot of similarities in there from the environment that i came up in when i spent my nine months training with um nwl which you know they had weekly television they would do their tapings every other week um, and they kind of, they started, I think they, like, you know, they started with, um, I don't know how much they were drawing at the beginning, but they were in that venue that was way too big. Yeah. I can't the, remember what uh, it was called. Scottish Scottish right or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they started, you know, using the smaller venue and then they, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but they, they you know, the crowd started growing and which made it look even bigger in a smaller venue. And then we got to the point where we were regularly drawing four, sometimes 500 people, on TV tapings right before it went down. So, mm-hmm. you know, they trained their own guys. They had their weekly TV. They would tape every two weeks and you would, I, there were, you know, uh, shark bait, I think technically trained with them. Um, and they had plenty of other guys that now post NWL, obviously have started, you know, going out there, guys like Campbell, who I think you have, you, you've met Campbell Myers, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, him a lot. I, I thought cool. so. Yeah, because it's funny because I was gonna bring this up. You've like you and I know a lot of the same people, <laughs> but like I've never been to Texas, so you and I probably haven't had the chance to meet or anything. But like you know, Moonshine was one of the guys that trained me. Uh, Campbell's made the road trip down there a couple times. Um, I've been on a bunch of shows with guys like Thomas Shire mm. with Kenway. Um, so like a, a bunch of guys that kind of go back and forth. I've been on shows with Stallion. Stallion, you know, he did a lot of shows in Texas. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I, I just think it's funny how wrestling works that way sometimes where you know so many people and you just never cross paths with somebody who has also met those same people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether or not, whether it's you've been to the same shows or, you know, you're in different areas and it kind of just, it all turns into one small world and one large network yeah yeah those are my those are my favorite guys especially moonshine and mm-hmm. and kenway i i like those guys a lot um but uh yeah we de- we'll definitely run into each other we got to get you out here in texas though, on some of these shows i know i was th- I, that is what moonshine has been saying for oh gosh like a couple years now <laughs> he's been like dude i just got to get you down to texas and i'm like all right take me down to texas because he he was one of the guys i think in in like the four guys that I trained with, and I've probably rattled off the list a bunch of times on the pod, but, you know, Hoodie, Moonshine, Dak Draper, Jake Durden, like, they all kind of gave me individually, like, something different from my training experience. Like, Hoodie was very good at, like, his his specialty was kind of, like, getting you into your character, getting yeah. into, like, some of the why you're doing things or saying things, promos, um, Dak and Maverick were both, you know, very physical. Maverick loves blowing people up. He <laughs> loves doing that conditioning. He loves being just a, you know, fucking unit. So 
Dak's a lot of the same way. Dak's just a, you know, Dak's an athlete's athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jake Dern was a lot of psychology too. He was like, he would just break things down so metic- so meticulously sometimes. And um, I would connect to some of their teachings in different ways. And I think Moonshine, the thing that he would connect with me the most on was my in-ring physicality. Like, for whatever reason, when I was in there with him more than anybody else, like, knowing how intense he is, which is what, that's his bread and butter. That's, like, what he's known for. Um, it kind of, like, forced me to develop that same intensity and be like, all right, I have to match him or else he's going to eat me alive. Um, so, yeah, I it, it doesn't surprise me that that kind of, Oh, we got to get you down to Texas, man. Like, I feel just as an outsider looking in, like Texas to me and like just the environment, the scene, the the style that most Texas shows um, sound like to me. Again, I've never been on them. I've never, you know, I've never experienced it personally myself, but it sounds like something that very much does, um, uh, you know, um, it's very attractive to me in terms of yeah. like, yeah, it's, that's, that seems like, you know, my kind of uh, ballpark. I mean, sure. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll ask you, Jack, as, as I didn't get to see as much in like 2019 and then, and obviously moved away, but like 2018 Dallas, there were shows running all the time. I mean, there mm-hmm. was, there was MPX um, VIP, which I got into late. Uh, Dallas Championship Wrestling, Sabotage came up for a little bit, but I, I mean, just kind of, um, I guess for, for, especially for most of our audience is Midwest, but it's kind of like, kind of lay the, the groundwork as far as like, what is the, the deal with Texas wrestling and why it's, it's blown up the way it has? Um, I mean, it's come, it's come a long way in the last five years, right? Because when I, when I first started, it was always, the narrative was, if you stay here, you're never going to make it, you're going to get trapped in. And you'll just be a Texas guy for the rest of your life, which isn't bad, right? You can do three shows a weekend, you know, but you're never going to leave that bubble. Like very few people left that bubble. And now you see people leaving it all the time, right? You got your Keith Lee's and your Ricky Starks and your Ember Moons and your ACHs and all these people who are doing like amazing shit. Um, And they were, they created that kind of atmosphere in Texas, but they did it by leaving the state, making their name and then coming back and always saying, I started in Texas. And so that was kind of my my thought process was I tried to get my training down as quickly as I could and get matches under my belt. But I knew that I wanted to travel with wrestling and I wasn't afraid to like go pay my way to go train somewhere or do this. I never like understood this weird paradigm of not the someone would rather drive 24 hours and buy a plane ticket that only takes me two hours. I don't understand the difference, but whatever. <laughs> um, I guess there's more hard work in driving 24 hours, even though. That, whatever. That's another subject. Anyway, uh, I go, I'll go on a tangent on that. But yeah, so I mean, I I'm, I'm uh, I moved to Philly for a couple years, and then when I came back, like the scene, it seemed like more people were working together to like fly in talent to wrestle our guys that were here, run shows like big shows on a whole weekend basis, so guys would have a loop when they were here. Mm-hmm. And there's so much the, the, the atmosphere is so different from like DFW to Austin to San Antonio to Houston. And you kind of have your good training schools all around. Um, and now we're kind of like, you know, coming together as a as a Texas group and saying, okay, why don't we want to have the big shows come here like AAW wrestling here and all these other things. So 
it's cool to see the transition um, from five years ago to like right now, or maybe in 2021 when things, you know, get back to full swing, if they do, if they're if safe or if things are able to do that. But mm-hmm. it's really cool to see that vibe and like, and the, and you know, kind of the wave we're on. So that's cool. And guys like Keith Lee and Ember Moon always like talking about being from Texas and putting that shit on their back is like super inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is that what pushed you? Because you, early on, after, it was a little after your first year. Like you went to, to Germany and trained for a little bit and wrestled at WXW while you were over there. I mean, was that kind of the, the impetus for you going overseas and wrestling too? Yeah, I just wanted to go. I did, honestly just wanted to go overseas. And I was like, oh, I might as well wrestle over there too. I mean, I wasn't, at that point in my career, I knew no one was going to fly me $1,000 overseas. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I might as well. I really wanted to go to the UK, but at the time there was no school in the UK that had like a, a place to stay attached with it so i was gonna have to like pay to train obviously and then i was have to pay separately to have a place to live um and that was gonna just be a little too much so i found wxw and all it was all in one package um like the dojo and the the place where you live was like connected so you could train seven days a week there was multiple trainers walter was still there like full time because he hadn't blown up yet mm. and uh and their wxw hadn't blown up yet either so the package was only like five hundred dollars for like four weeks of seven days a week training. And I was like, Holy shit. yo, that's mad that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I get to go to Germany. I've never been, and I'll just pay for my flight and it's sick. And then I did not expect it to go the way it did. Like they brought me back for two tours of three months apiece, and they paid for all of that. And so like, yeah. I'm not saying wow. if you go to WXW right now, you're going to get two tours, but <laughs> something cool could happen. And there's so many people from like every different country there. And you just meet people and it's a vibe. And the only thing you have to focus on is wrestling. And for most of us, that's the, the whole goal when we start wrestling is I only want to be a wrestler. And like back then, I still had like a real shoot job or whatever. I mean, I kind of do now, but it's a whole different thing. But mm-hmm. um, and so I spent four weeks there and I trained seven days a week and worked out twice a week and went out to these German pubs with the other Americans. And it was like it was cool, you know. And so I always knew that I wanted to travel because I was traveling with baseball and I didn't want to stop doing that. And uh I never accepted like the weird paradigms of not going to pay something. Like if I'm going to go train with someone, I'm going to pay them and I'm going to get myself there because that makes sense. I did it in baseball for a long time. If I was a bad hitter, I was going to go buy a hitting coach. He's going to teach me how to hit better. <laughs> so that's what happened. And then it just yeah. kind of worked out in my favor that I did wasn't like awful at wrestling and, and they needed a guy like me. That's awesome. What's the, what's the, I've, I've always been fascinated watching some of those, uh, like the, the Ireland or, or, you know, UK shows, just the, the vibe is, the crowd's nuts. It's just like mm. a completely different environment. I mean, what's it, what's it, to be in the ring in the middle of that's got to be something interesting too. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, um, I think two of my favorite matches are probably, I wrestled, I wrestled Buff Bagwell in like front of a thousand mm-hmm. screaming German fans. And that was wild. Uh, but uh, like in a more intimate setting, I wrestled, um, David Starr, you know, whatever. It was him. I uh, wrestled him at this place called uh, The Cockpit in London. It's like a small venue, but it looks like a theater. And I think the idea that the UK fans have that we haven't grasped as American fans is that they're going there specifically because they want to enjoy something. And that's a, that creates a different atmosphere for you. If I'm going to go to a comedy show, I'm going with the intention to laugh. A lot of wrestling fans in America go with the intention to try to shit on something. Where they're going with the intention to not to try and not enjoy it. And if I'm going to go to anything, especially a live experience, I'm going there to 
have a great time, scream, yell, drink a beer if I'm into that, whatever the case may be. So I think in the UK, they really are about that. And every show has alcohol, so that changes the vibe tremendously. <laughs> um, and most of the venues are like on a strip where there's a lot of stuff going on. So you could go to so many different things and people just happen to walk into this place because they hear screaming fans, they hear loud music, and they're like, oh, it's wrestling. And then they sit down and they enjoy it. So it creates a really cool culture for the fans and obviously for actual wrestling. And so I think we can adopt some of that uh, in America. I mean, obviously some shows do when they're really popping off and they're cool. Um, but a lot of times it's not that way. That's it. I hadn't been able to describe. We, we have a, a local promotion here, journey pro, which has kind of been on hiatus because obviously the pandemic, but you know, I always wondered what made their shows different and you, you hit all the, you hit it perfectly. Like they were always eight uh, 21 and over. They were in a bar. So they had access to alcohol. Everybody was there specifically for the wrestling show and to drink and have a good time. Like that's that, that really makes sense as far as like creating that, that perfect, like indie wrestling fan cocktail. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've been to other shows that, you know, you know, MPX is a little different because most of the time it's family friendly. Um, right. But, but, but it, it has its own community that supports that. So it works. Um, but, you know, I've been to some of those other Dallas shows that were like a, you know, a couple have been at a steakhouse that didn't have like a great turnout or, or something or, you know, basically they didn't have like all the ingredients to make like a good indie show. And it kind of showed with like a lack of a crowd reaction or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, you know, one of the things I've liked about you is, is even in some of those environments, you know, somebody will heckle or holler at you and you always like you bounce back. You're just quick and witty enough to, kind of put them back in their place or something. Oh, I've always, you don't see a lot of indie wrestlers do that, you know, but the ones that do, I think it, it gives an extra spark to the, to the match and to the experience. And yeah, I, I mean, that's, the other, the, the heckler's not expecting that. So as soon as you hit them with it, they're just kind of like immediately back down in their seat. Kind of. Yeah. The show. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's where you go to like a small, a small little intimate setting. You want to be close to the people that you're, you're seeing on a stage. Mm -hmm. You know, if I go to a dive bar, I'm, I'm basically touching the person who's singing and that's cool. Yeah. You know, and, uh, wrestling is about interaction for the most part, you know? And so if I can get someone invested by saying one word to them, you know, I think wrestlers say shut up too often, but <laughs> I was, I did that a lot back in the day too. We just don't know what else to say mm -hmm. during trying to get heat during a promo, but you know, we could be, we could be wittier, you know, or we could just say nothing and, and let the fan have the win, which is still cool too. Yep, because then that one fan leaves with the, like, they have that feeling of, like, aha, you know, like, I got him, or whatever, and that kind of gives, that gives them um, a unique enjoyment of, like, what what was one of your favorite parts about the show? Oh, I was going off on that wrestler in the ring, and, you know, I told them off, or whatever, and then, like, it gives, it just get, lets them kind of, like, have their own, their own fun with it while they're there, right. mm -hmm, which sure. is another big part of, like, what we're trying to do. <laughs> Yep. Actually, so you, fun, I was going to say real quick about that funny story is very related to that. My wife, the one show she went to, the Journey Pro show, uh, somebody like she ripped on somebody. She like yelled out Pitbull for some wrestler and it like the crowd. Oh, then it was it was definitely Rashid. No, it wasn't. Uh, it was. Uh, no, it was. Uh, what? Um, it was Aaron Williams. Aaron. Aaron yeah, Aaron Williams. Okay. And so, Our, but the thing is, okay, like, she, 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 she has no idea with wrestling. She hates wrestling because she hates seeing people bump. And so. It was cool to see her stay at that show, but 
from that was in March to this day. She's still like, "Hey, you think if I go to that show and yell pitbull at him again, they'll laugh?" Like she remembers like all of that yeah. moment, and it sticks with her. And that was like her like shining moment of the night. And so yeah, yeah it's funny you mentioned that. It, that's a relating moment. Yeah, it's and the MPX arena too. It felt the one time I got to go there, it felt like a punk venue that I remember going to because like you're right with the community, everyone got along, everyone knew each other, like everyone knew their own seats, even though they weren't labeled you know like everyone had their spots uh it seemed like like i said it just seemed like a really tight-knit community and it was really cool to interact with that especially something i wasn't familiar with coming from kansas city and seeing a texas show it was a really warm welcome and mike introduced me to like several other people and it like i said everyone's just welcome i love that it reminds me of the old punk days like i grew up in chicago going to this really shitty bowling alley that it was like i said it was barely held together nobody ever wanted to use the bathrooms but it was one of the coolest <laughs> spots you've ever been to in your life and and it's like i wouldn't take that i wouldn't take that experience back for anything and i i get that vibe when i go to indie wrestling shows these days like i i feel that same kind of camaraderie that community between the fans between the wrestlers like everything and so yeah but i just wanted to bring that aaron williams thing up i feel bad because aaron williams is a great wrestler too but my wife just she just found something and tried to stick with it <laughs> i can't believe somebody in kansas city looked at anybody other than king snake and called him pitbull he wasn't wrestling that night <laughs> yeah man that's that's nuts yeah that's crazy man so i went through it's it's funny there's a a like a german website that's a data a wrestling database basically that kind of tracks oh okay i was wondering where you were going with this german website oh no so the the has like I, thought we're about to, I thought we were about to turn a corner on this podcast. Right. <laughs> I was like, that's a sharp left. No. That's 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 for that's for a late night podcast, fellas. Um, but no, they they wrestling you know, Twitter after dark. Right. Oh, they, no. they track your your kind of like your wrestling history, and I I just went through the list of your matches and just kind of wrote down some of the people you were in the ring with, and it's just. It's an amazing list, so I'm j- I just want to read off some of these names and see if anything popped out at you. A, a yeah, couple of you, you mentioned already. Can you remind me who I've wrestled, please? Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so we've got a couple, like I said, you mentioned, um, you know, Moonshine, uh, Ricky Starks, uh, Tim Storm, Keith Lee, uh, Fuego Del Sol, uh, Jern Simmons, Buff Bagwell, uh, Gino. Uh, you wrestle in a tag match against Ring Comp, which was at the time it was Timothy Thatcher and Walter, but you also wrestled Walter uh, individually. Uh, John Morrison, uh, Marco Stunt, Laney Luck, Alley Cat, Kimberly, Alexander Hammerstone, uh, Wheeler Yuta, uh, Maria Manic, Kevin Koo, the Carnies, uh, Anthony Bowens, uh, our good friend Gary J, and Graham Bell, like just to name a few. Um, that's a pretty amazing list. Yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, I I do want to ask, you know, Walter, did you take like one of those chest slaps from him? Yeah, I took a lot. Is I mean, it's it's I'm, it's, I'm amazed yeah. you're still alive. Yeah, <laughs> he says it's it's yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> that's it's a lot. I needed to hear. <laughs> we we. The first time I wrestled Walter, we did a, it was like, we wrestled in this place in Germany called McDonald's Arena. I'm not sure why it was called McDonald's (laughs) Arena. That's cool. But it was like mad cold and there was no heat in the building. And I was putting this match together with Walter and I'm like, dog. I didn't say dog. I never say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I was like, hey, 
Uh, it's mad cold in there. So let's just like not do 417 chops. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah, that makes sense. I'll just do a couple. I was like, cool. We wrestled for 15 minutes and I'm like, dude, what happened to what happened to what we said? <laughs> <laughs> what and, happened, uh, man? He was like, oh, I, just got caught, I, just, I just got caught up in the moment. And I was like, yeah. I get it. I get it. You got caught up in beating me up and powerbombing me. It's cool. No problem. Whatever. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. You are one of the few people on this planet, I think, that have taken both Walter chops and Moonshine chops. Yeah, and add the Keith Lee double chop, double and overhand And chop. the Keith Lee. Oh, oh my God. Your poor you, chest. How do you have a chest after this? <laughs> <clears throat> you know, uh, surgery. <laughs> surgery. <laughs> Man. Um that's that's amazing. I just seeing pictures of him deliver that to people and seeing like their skin just kind of like ripple away from from the impact site is just I can't, and I, ha- I can't. I haven't seen it yet, but there's a lot of talk going on about the match he just had with Ilya Drago on uh NXT UK. So like I'm definitely going to be checking that out soon because I heard it was just oof. Yeah, I heard, I've, I've heard the word brutal it. a lot. Yeah, it was, it's very similar to all the other matches they've had. Like, if you watch their WXW uh, 16 karat gold matches, right, they just go ham. Like, mm-hmm. Ilya's chest is, like, bloody. He always looks super good because he's, like, kind of pale Russian guy, but he's, like, mad jacked, and he's like, has the most intensity of all time. And, like, his chest just starts bleeding, like, right away. And he's just like, whatever, I'm this crazy person. I'm going to keep coming at you. He but just starts awesome doing the thing where he's, like, rubbing it all over himself. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah dude, they do some just they, just, they just hit each other a lot. Like, slaps, chops, punches, forearms, power bombs. It's like, okay, boys. Yep. <laughs> have, have you been able to watch wrestling okay during the... I know you've, you've talked about watching some shows. Um you know, some WWE pay-per-views and whatnot, but I mean, have you been able to watch wrestling like, like normally or comfortably during a pandemic or has it been like a different experience for you? Definitely different. I haven't watched a ton of wrestling. I watch like the matches that people like talk about being super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I like, you know, I want to know what people are talking about. I want to know what's hot. I want to know what, you know, the fans are thinking is really good. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. The WWE vibe is, is was weird for me before they started doing like the Thunderdome thing. It's still kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I watch it here and there, not a ton. But what's I like to? I mean, I watch my favorite wrestlers, you know, and people that I enjoy always watching no matter what. Um, but yeah, not a ton of uh, WWE programming. But I did watch Pat McAfee on that NXT okay. 30 become the absolute greatest wrestler on planet Earth. Um, so. <laughs> I think we should all shut it down after him. It's, I know, right? It's like nobody else can. There's no other crossover that's going to be better. Oh, that punt kick, yeah. though. Oh, it works why do you, so well. Why do you him. think that is? Why do you think there is such a weird like disconnect between most of a viewing audience and WWE's product, especially nowadays? Do you think it has more to do with like the pandemic and the circumstances that all wrestling is under, or do you think it's been like some underlying problems that WWE has had that have just been brought to light? a lot more in, in the circumstances of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think having, like, a crowd and a big stadium kind of distracts people away from what they're actually viewing. And so now, with no fans, very little crowd reaction, you have to, like, pay attention to the storylines and stuff, and some of them are pretty whack. And so... <laughs> it's, like... Obviously, the wrestling is always going to be good. They have the most talented roster in the whole world, right? So, like... If you give people enough time to wrestle, but the 
the problem with the WWE audience is they're not like an indie audience. No one really cares about what's happening in the match until they get invested via what's happening outside the match. Like, I think what Roman Reigns and, uh, um, is it Jey J- Uso, right? I, th- I think it's Jey right so, now. Jay. Yeah. Or obviously have people, like, on the edge of their seat about what's going to happen. And I don't know what the end of the storyline was, but I saw the finish of the Hell in a Cell match, and that was, like, epic. So, yeah, I think it's brought to light some of the stuff that, kind of WWE needs to hone in on and not being able to do live shows and travel and they're not making as much money and their TV ratings are down so they're going to have to kind of figure out how to put out a better product and that's on them because they have the talent, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Especially if they're going to lay off like, what was it, 100 plus people and they're still going to have one of the best rosters in wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) So. Well, I haven't watched a lot of wrestling during the pandemic, I, I've, I've, it's just when it's not a like a live indie show, it just doesn't kind of it doesn't hold the same sway with me. So I think once I can get back to like a, a public event, I'll feel a little more invested in it. Uh, yeah. One thing I, I did watch this summer, and, and we have to bring it up as, uh, uh, of course, the big Netflix hit, The Tiger King. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we had, so we learned right about the time that came out that that. Uh, he would host some wrestling shows there at his his property in Oklahoma, and we found out a few friends of ours, uh, mm-hmm. in Moonshine included, had wrestled there. And then, kind of in the same time, found out you had wrestled there too. So I I just I have many questions. I, I but I can't I can't. Like, what was that experience? Yeah. Like? Um, I mean, like while it was happening, I thought nothing of it, to be honest. Like. I was like maybe two months into my career and Tim Storm and APOC were like, hey, we got you booked at this zoo. Um, Come here this time. I was like, okay. (laughs) And so I went and I, (laughs) and this dude, Joe Exotic was kind of like weird, but I like didn't phase me. I was like, whatever. People got their own, you know, vibe. It doesn't bother me. And uh, he was like, we're going to have pyro. Uh, and I was like, great, you're going to have pyro. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then I was the first person out uh, on the whole show. And my pyro, like, I guess, wasn't, it wasn't ready to go. So it was pretty weak. Uh, and then Tim Storm came out and was like, WrestleMania 30, dude. I was right. like, holy shit, what's happening? <laughs> they saved all the pyro um, for him. Yeah. But, I mean, wrestling there was cool. And then I watched Moonshine and, and Charlie Haas, like, chase a chicken around the ring, which was wild. Uh, and there was like actual tigers watching us wrestle and there was more tigers than there was like, I think actual human beings and, uh, <laughs> wrestling for tigers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, was like, yeah. I was like, this is the peak of my professional wrestling career. I'm good. Like, let's shut it down. Like, where, where am I going? Two months I got, in, can't beat it. Nope. Yeah. I got, t- I got Tim storm. He's about to be NWA world's champion. You know, I got pyro sort of, so I feel like it's WrestleMania. Uh, yep. And there's tigers, and I just pet like three of them before I got here. So like, oh, it's great. That's awesome. <clears throat> but then I did like a show, like I don't know, maybe a, a month later at this place called Texoma, and Joe mm-hmm. Exotic was doing a commentary, and he was also running for president at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my man Joe Exotic comes up to me. He goes, "Hey, can I get your uh, can I get your vote for the presidential election?" And I and he like handed me a sheet of paper, and I looked at him. I put the sheet down. I said, I will not be voting for you in the 2016 presidential election. And I was never, ever again invited back to a Joe Exotic wrestling show. Uh, 
What a loss. <laughs> so, How and then often? four weeks, four years later, it comes out that he's like just a terrible dude. And yeah. right. <laughs> he's so. blaming Carol Baskin for that too. I bet. Wow. Yeah. How- how often, like, okay, in indie wrestling, though, because this seems pretty normal that you're like, all right, I'm booked for a zoo, let's go. How often do you get strange bookings like that? Or how, like, what would you expect out of something like that? Where it's like, all right, you're wrestling in a mall today, or you're wrestling in a school, or you're wrestling in a zoo. Like, I mean, what's the weirdest kind of, like, environment? Like, they're like, all right, you're wrestling here. Like, what's that like? Or what? I mean, it, I guess it's just become very normalized, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, I think the first time that I wrestled, I wrestled in a barn, like an actual barn, and I'm pretty sure there was, like, poop around the ring. Oh, and I yeah. And I just wrestled in front of a family of four. Like, yeah. So, oh. and I was like, from here, like, anything else that I get booked from or booked for is got is, be- is going to be better, and yeah. it's going to be the best day of my life. So, I'm just <laughs> going to be excited about every booking that happens for the next few years. And then... Oh, yeah. But I like wrestling in a mall, though. Malls are kind of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's just like it's cool. I mean, that's I mean, that's the it's good and bad, right? That's the idea of indie wrestling. Like you get these like unique environments with unique things happening, but on the other hand, they're like not good at the yeah. same time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, what but, What does Christian Rose always say? When it's good, it's good. But yeah. when it's bad, brother. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yep. Yep. I mean, I've been fortunate enough so far. I'm, I'm about to begin year three, um, next at the beginning of next year. So I have yet to come across anything as out there as a barn in front of one family or a zoo. Um, I've done like the, I've done armories. I've done the malls. I've done like, you know, um, I've done like, you know, pretty standard places all things considered when you think about the fact that there are places that wrestle in front of tigers uh <laughs> but like you know it's i've been i've been fortunate enough to avoid a lot of that i think coming up in the system like i guess the system that i did and you might feel some of this too where like it's so where it is re- more systemic than it is just show up to a guy as a ring and he'll let you use it for a few hours a couple days a week um, where I kind of, you know, I was told my entire nine months in training, I was like, oh, you're being spoiled, kid. Oh, you're a spoiled, kid. And I would get told all these, like, horror stories of, these, of you know, the peers around me when they were coming up and how they got trained. And I was like, oh, you know, sure, it's, you know, obviously it's got to be a lot better now. You know, like, it, it, that stuff doesn't happen that much anymore. And then when NWL uh, suddenly closed and I was kind of at the point when that happened that my coaches and my peers were like, well, you're kind of ready to go. So go get booked, start traveling. And I did that and I would see these people or, or I'd meet people, some of the characters, you know, in locker rooms, or I would see things during matches or, you know, in the crowds or whatever. And I would be like, Oh, so this isn't what it's like everywhere. <laughs> it is. It does have you know um, the odd, the oddball, the odd Joe Exotic, um, the odd wrestling in front of a family of four, like stuff like that does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for me was kind of a, I guess, 
not so much a shock, but kind of a um, a, a realization. Did, did you have a bunch of those in your first year, year or two? Yeah. I mean, I had the same kind of feeling about training. Like, I just thought everyone got trained, and the trainer they had was, like, nice, and he cared. And there was a sense of, like, I'm going to take care of you, and here's how you should approach the business. Right. Um, you know, because I understand that wrestling is hard, and I understand that not everyone's body is it going to allow them to be an actual professional wrestler. Like, that's just point and blank, right? But I do feel like if you want to be in wrestling, there's a spot for you to do something. And uh, a lot of trainers, like, have this real old paradigm of, like, screaming and yelling and bullying and their refusal to get to know the person that they're training, right? You're only going to get the best out of someone if you know them and you connect with them and you understand them. So if I know that you, Dallas, are someone who really gets motivated through, like, yelling, maybe you are, maybe you are, I'm just an example, but maybe that's what fires you up. So if you do something wrong or something that I don't see is, you know, you listening to me the best way you can, I might get in your face and start yelling at you, you know? I like that when I was in sports, when my coach yelled at me. It got me fired up, you know? But if someone gets intimidated by that and they shut down, then I'm going to take them separately to the side and say, here's what I think you need to do better, here's what I think you're doing great, and that resonates with them and a lot of wrestling trainers don't take the time to get to know their students because just like all businesses it's about making money so they're taking someone's money instead of really getting to know that person and being honest with them about the future of their career um and we saw a lot of that right obviously a lot of the garbage being taken out of wrestling with the speaking out movement um and uh and so we just you know inside you know as at shows and with trainers and all these things we just need to be diligent about you know who we're who we're interacting with, how people treat us, and we need to be vocal about those things. You know, it goes back to the question of how are you. If I ask you how you're doing, and you just had a really dog shit day at training, and you don't say anything to anyone about it, no one can ever help you. And uh, I know it's hard to speak out that because sometimes people treat you terribly for speaking out. And they blame you for your situation and all these things. But you can find that safe space and that safe spot, and that's what you got to create in wrestling because it just, you know, there's just there's. Yeah, there's too many people also taking their own lives in professional wrestling. There's too many mental health issues because we're very much so pretending to be other people when we get into the ring and we're not learning who we are outside of it. And then when we're not in the ring, we can't distinguish the two. And then we're, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of deep stuff we could get into, but uh, yeah, so. Well, and that's kind of the perfect segue. I, I, I wanted to bring up the fact that, that you have, in the last couple of years, you've, you've been championing um you know, mental health awareness, uh, you know, for everybody, but, but especially men who, who are, you know, taught to kind of just man up and swallow it and, and work through it. Um, you know, and we're seeing a lot of different, uh, it's being brought to light kind of the negative results of that. You know, I, I think there was a time in society that was what you did and we're learning that's had some pretty adverse effects kind of throughout. And that's something that you have, um, you know, I, the, for, for the sphere of wrestling that I've been in, you've spearheaded a lot of that. I know you're part of a, a bigger group, but but just, you know, I'd, I'd like you to just kind of speak a little more on, on where that's coming from and, and, like, what you're looking to accomplish. Yeah. Um, well, just a little trigger warning for anyone who's currently watching. Um, this may get a little heavy. I'll probably talk about suicide. Well, I will talk about suicide. 
uh, even though I just mentioned it briefly a few minutes ago, but um, just in case. So if you need a break, pause it, come back to it, um, listen to when you're ready. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, mental health pretty much is uh, is like the main kind of main purpose, main focus of my life. Um, I think it really encompasses everything, to be honest, like, and a lot of people, we, we can't have a distinction. We don't have a distinction between what mental health is, which everyone has, because everyone has bad days. Everyone goes through loss. Everyone goes through grief, pain, hardship. These things are inevitable. And if we are having a priority on our mental health, then we can be more resilient through the shitty days because they're going to happen. It just is what it is. But then we have mental health conditions, which are a bit more severe, right? Your bipolar disorder, your schizophrenia, your severe depression, anxiety, OCD, these things that need real treatment, real care, real professional help. And uh, a lot of people are falling through the cracks. We've seen that so much, especially with the pandemic and all these things, um, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I mean, a personal story, the reason why it's deeply affected me so much is uh, because a couple years ago in September, I lost my, I lost my sister to suicide and um, she battled mental health disorders. She battled bipolar disorder, depression for, for like 11 years. And, um, and uh, it, it got the best for her and she, she took her own life, but it, it's, it acts, it's like really, it sucks because it sucks because something so tragic has to happen for us to put things in perspective right and it's that's what happened to me and i think that's what's happening right now in our world like so many bad things are happening on top of one another the world is on fire but it's giving a lot of people the perspective of what's really important of what really fucking matters you know treating people with kindness having really tough conversations to make people are, are feel seen and heard and loved and uh, all these things that are wildly important. And it's especially deeply important in the world of professional wrestling. Because I feel like, you know, ending mental suffering on the whole entire planet is like a big, that's like a big thing. Like, I'm not going to be able to do that by myself. Eventually, maybe 150 years from now, that everyone's fulfilled and happy and joyed. And everyone has the care and the treatment that they deserve. But right now in my lifetime, I feel like I can make a difference and an impact in the specific community that I am in, which is professional wrestling. And especially at an independent level, I feel like my voice can be something that does make a difference that maybe saves a life. Cause during the pandemic, we've lost, we've lost a few people and it, it's some of it to online bullying, some of it to deeper issues that we don't know about. Cause we're not close to the people that we lost, but it does boil down to, social media usage it does boil down to try to separate the person from the character especially as a fan um and it, it does boil down to mental health and taking care of yourself and understanding when you need a break and understanding that it's okay to go to therapy or if medication is the right path for you there's so many different things and uh, i've really been in trying to encourage people to at least chat me up about it dm me i'm willing to have conversations with everyone um uh, I started a nonprofit because of it. Um, so, I mean, I could go on for days, but if you guys want to say anything about I it. I can tell. Yeah, no, that's, it's great. It's great that you could go on for days because I think for a lot of people, whether, you know, it's, whether it's challenging for them or not, there sometimes does need to be times where you do talk for days about it because, you know, 
every, we all have our own experiences and we all, you know, go through different things. Um, but it is something that a lot of people for the most part probably don't talk about enough or just don't have that much awareness on, or, you know, they don't have the, the tools to kind of deal with things that might go on or have gone on. Um, they, you know, they need, they need, I guess they need help, you know, not, not necessarily like uh, they need treatment or anything like that, but they just don't know what it is to do. They don't know how to handle uh, something that might be going on or that did go on or that is going to go on or whatever the case may be. It's different for everybody, but it's good that, you know, there are people that are kind of in the role that you're in that are doing the things that you're doing because like, I don't know what it is like, what, you know, experience in that arena that you have outside of your own personal experiences with, you know, family, friends, or your own, you know, whatever you've experienced, but like, it sounds, you, you know, you, you, it comes across like you have, you know, so many tools and you kind of approach it in a way that is healthy and welcoming and open for everyone. And it acknowledges how tough it is to kind of talk about all that stuff, but it also welcomes it, you know? So like it, it, it's very, you know, how, I guess, how did outside of, you know, your motivations for, for championing mental health, especially, you know, in the sphere of wrestling and um, in general, how did you go about approaching that? Um, well, I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, I think, like, the, I just, I just really know how deep our mind can take us down a dark path, and how if just one person is willing to sit in the dark with you, that that could save your life. I don't know forever or for how long, because I do believe that everyone is put on this earth for already a predetermined amount of time. We don't know it. That's why it's so important to live every life, every day, every second, each moment and cherish it. So we don't know when we're going to go or how we're going to go. But I think when dealing with mental health conditions uh, and these types of illnesses that if we just have one person who supports us and loves us and validates us, it can extend our life far beyond what we may have imagined. Like if my sister never got the help and the treatment that she got, you know, the cops came into my house multiple times, you know, she was in institutions. It could have, it could have been any of those past three, four, five, six years before that. But I got more time with her because my family and I were willing to do the work. Unfortunately we lost her. So maybe we didn't do enough. I don't know. I can't think about that anymore because that'll break my heart. But now I know that these certain things do make life better right? These, these do things, they do help. They do matter and they do make a difference. It doesn't like people think that when I say things on Twitter or stuff like that, it comes off as cheesy that I'm saying that you're loved and you matter. But like these short little phrases like actually make the huge difference in the whole world. It's, it's very similar to like, say you're out and you're having a day, you're not having a great day. But someone does like one little kind gesture for you. Maybe it's just that they open the door for you and they say hi. That could literally change the trajectory of your whole day and you're not even really realizing it. And so these same things can happen 
when we validate someone's feelings. And it really goes back to the question of how are you? If we're actually asking someone and they can feel like this person is not going to judge me, they're going to appreciate me, um, and I can get something off my chest, not dumping everything on them, because most of the time we're also dealing with our own stuff at the same time. So for someone to dump on us can make things worse. That's why about being honest and responsible about our conversation can make all the difference in the world. And so it just really starts with that. It starts with conversation. And all the things that we've dealt with during the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter and the racial injustice and all these terrible, terrible things, right, all start with conversation. If we can just actually talk to each other about what's going on and we can have empathy for other people's situations, we can, doesn't mean we're eventually going to agree on something, but at least we can see that person for who they are and love that, you know? And I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, that's what I got. Oh, that's great. That's for sure. That's great. And on on the topic of those conversations, um, how do you, like, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes with the posts or on social media, like, sometimes some people may see that as cheesy or whatever, uh, but it still does have an impact. It still can make a difference. Um, what, how did, how does that transform into the converse, into that conversation? How does that, uh, for at least in your own experiences, um, how does that pierce through the layer of, oh, it's a cheesy social media post and into more of a direct, more of a personal kind of, um, statement or con conversation, I guess, how does it turn from more, from more of a, um, putting it out there into a dialogue between without going into, you know, specific details about any conversations that you may have had or whatever, but in your own experiences, what do some of those conversations kind of look like? Well, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people don't feel like they're worthy of love. Right. And so when they see something about a random stranger on Twitter telling them that they are valued and they are real and they are loved, it's kind of hard to digest if your whole life you felt like you're, you, you haven't been worthy of love. And so someone will baby hop in my DMs and they'll just, they'll just say the opposite of what I tweeted basically to me. And that really is, it's just how the conversation starts. And then from there, really, it's just about finding, I mean, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a professional, but really we have these like patterns that we, we really developed when we were kids. If we didn't feel loved or heard or seen when we were growing up, then that same, we've solved that same pattern when we're adults and we, we kind of have these patterns in relationships. Um, and so it's kind of like digging deep and, and figuring out, you know, where you're coming from. But really a person just wants to feel supported. And a lot of stuff with mental health is about education. If you can figure out what you have going on and you can name that thing in your head that's going on, there's specific ways to approach that situation. And I think for people getting those tools is a lot helpful, uh, a lot more helpful than just like, you know, obviously than not knowing what that is. Like if we're in school and someone tells us to do this and we don't really have like a path to get there, it seems very daunting and hard. But if we have an outline and steps to get there, then we can check those off on the way. You know, that's why having like a morning routine is super important or making it a to-do list or getting up every morning and making your bed because you feel that sense of accomplishment every morning of doing something that you didn't really want to do, but you did it. So you start your day off on the right foot. And so I think the conversations just lead to 
trying, I'm my goal with those conversations is to be a bridge to help to be like, this stuff has worked. I know how I can get you where you want to be. If you just let me lead you there, we can lead. I can sit with you in the dark and we can get you out of this and into a fulfilled, happy, successful, beautiful, cherishful life. And, and kind of to piggyback on, on what you said, I, I think the, the thing that's made you I don't know, successful is the right word. I, I, I think what I've seen out of you is, is consistency. Like you've been steadfast that this is important to you and you've, and your message has stayed consistent. Um, you haven't just capitalized on a moment, you know, to, to, for, for clout or for exposure or anything like you've, you've been talking this message, you know, for, for several years now. And I think that that's what, at least from my perspective, that's what would open the door to, okay, he's, he's being genuine. He's being sincere about this. This is something that, that means, something very near and dear to him, you know, where when, you know, when we've, we've seen, you know, wrestlers or just people in or in general, often it seems to be celebrities because that's what gets the most social media exposure. But you'll, you'll see people kind of pounce on that moment to try and, you know, get something from it rather than try to tackle the problem and, and, you know, work on that. And that's what I think you've done is you've, you've seen a problem you're going to push forward through it and, and work to healthy solutions for it um, more so. And, and again, you're consistent with it. So um, I, I know this is going to sound weird when I say it, but it's something that it's, it felt genuine to me. Um, you know, I, you never share, and I know especially before what happened, you never shared much about your personal life. You always tweeted very much in character mm-hmm. and, and, you know, from, you know, that, that perspective, but I know after, after losing your sister and, and seeing the shift in how you talk generally, it, when you, every day when you tweet, like, I, I didn't know her, I don't know anything about her, but I think about her when you tweet, like that's, that spark of, of where you're coming from. Um, like I, I see it and I feel it. So, you know, I certainly hope other people do, uh, you know, and, and listen to kind of what you're talking about, because it, sadly, it is coming from a genuine place. It was a, it was a traumatic event that was a paradigm shift for you, but that's helped you champion a very important cause for everybody, not just, and again, that's, you've, you've kind of changed your, your catchphrase to Jackson Stone is for everybody. And that's, that's genuine, that's sincere, and that's that's honest. And I think, you know, for anybody that's ever taken what you're talking about as as cheesy or cliche, they haven't done the due diligence to know where that's coming from. Um, but, you know, I, I hope at least if, if anything comes out of this, that's understand that the message is genuine, kind of sadly for some of the worst reasons. Um, but I, you know... For, for whatever it's worth, like I, I think about her when you tweet because I can see her in your, in, in her, I can hear her through your voice, I guess is the way I would say it. It just, and for, for what that's, what that's worth, it, I, I can, I can feel that. It's, um, it's worth a lot. I thank like, thank you for saying that, um, because I do get very insecure um like we all do about what message we're trying to put out and 
I get very insecure that like people think I'm coming across as like a know-it-all or some sort of weird preacher type person, and uh, I'm really just because I'm in my own journey, right? It's only it's yep. only been t- two years since I lost my sister, and like, granted, I'm a very happy guy. I'm really enjoying my life. Um, obviously, I have my days, right? But mostly when I'm tweeting, I'm tweeting from my own perspective of like things that I need to remind myself about because I'm still in it. I'm still grieving. I'm still doing this. And so if it's going to help me, it's probably going to help someone else whose experience may not be the same, but they're feeling something similar. And so thank you for saying that it's, it's fucking worth a lot. So thank you. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's helped me. I like, I, you know, through my cancer diagnosis earlier this year, um, and working through that, and then recently the thing with Bell's palsy, like that's messed with my head in a lot of ways. And and just just those little tweets every day, like it, it just it helps. It it builds on itself. And and you know I've been blessed. I've got such a great support system. You know my, my wife here. I have these two guys who you know when I'm just down and and needing to say something stupid, I can send them a gift or send them a something, and they laughing and, and it helps like it's it's just those little moments that even i tell myself is like stupid in the moment i'm doing it but it's just getting that positive reaction out of somebody else that helps me you know even in the darkest moments like that helps me justify being there in that moment so you know yeah. it, it, moments mean everything for, yeah yeah so i'm thankful for what you do i'm thankful for my support system and and I certainly, if anybody feels like they don't have a support system, like, you know, come our way, come Jackson's way. Like, you know, we, we may not be able to solve the problem, but we can certainly get the train rolling down the Absolutely. track to get you there. Yeah. So um, I'm, you know, I've, I've always loved what you're doing with You Are Loved. Um, you know, you, you just announced this week that you're uh, starting a clothing line mm. that is, you know, all purchases are going to allow a portion of the proceeds to be donated to a charity of the purchasers choosing, which I think is very unique and very neat. That's crazy. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like at, at checkout, there'll be like basically like a, you know, like the, when the size drops down, like you have large, you know, you can pick that. It's the same. going to be with like a, like a charity. There'll probably be a rotation of like five. Cause if I do like 30 charities, then not like one specific is not really going to get enough sure the donations won't be enough like substantial amount to make a difference but um yeah i mean it just like i'm not gonna i'm gonna use the word celebrity very loosely right but celebrities start clothing lines all the time and they say that it's for the their fans and shit but they make the the shirts like 112 dollars for a t-shirt right. so you expect me to buy a 112 dollar t-shirt when i can buy seven of those at walmart and they're the same thing come on dude you're not you're not doing this brand for anyone and so my thought process was i'll just make a cool clothing brand make the prices affordable and then give some money to people that i think need it and help and might be helpful and it'll be cool and it's not wrestling related uh it's not really mental health related but even though the charities deeply affect our mental health that are going to be donated to to something cool that because i was working at walmart a bit during the pandemic um and just kind of seeing people hustle and work 60 hour work weeks for 14 bucks an hour. I'm just like, we need to put a focus on these kind of community, the people that are like doing everyday work that like run our country, but no one's talking about it. Right. right. Until now, until we needed them deeply to 
to feed our families and stuff. We only needed these people now, but they were doing the same work two years ago when you still needed to feed your family. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. I'm just getting real passionate about kind of everything that's going on. And so I'm just, yeah, trying to make a difference. So that's good, man. That's where it all starts. You know, like it's that passion that brought the both of us to wrestling. It's that passion that has helped you uh, do such a good job at championing mental health and, and, you know, being very consistent and very uh, more than competent with your mission. And it's now led you to do this. And like, that's another thing that, I would like to commend you on directly is because when I was maybe not so much when I was a kid and I thought about, Oh, if I tried to become a wrestler, because as a kid, it was like, I didn't really consider it very seriously. Mm. Uh, But once I did and I started thinking about, you know, like the reasons why I would want to make it as big as I possibly could, um, you know, to a place like WWE or to a place like, AEW now or wherever is because of the things we can do outside of the ring the things that especially on an independent level is not like things that you're doing are not happening super often on an independent level and you know that's that's not like a uh i guess a bad thing because it's it's understandable why that might be the case for most situations but it's rare nonetheless and for you to be doing it uh is is huge it is a very like it's a huge step in a direction that I think is nothing but for the better of especially independent wrestling, but it gives guys like you know other wrestlers like me lets me know it kind of puts it into perspective like hey, we can get good at the wrestling part all the live long day, but we spend more time outside of wrestling in mm-hmm. reality, so that is where a lot of focus you know especially for myself um initially it was kind of hard to start redirecting my attention back to reality outside of wrestling because i was so focused on succeeding in it that now i have to remind myself that i need to succeed out of it so to see somebody kind of you know bringing the two together and succeeding outside of it because of their success inside of it it's hell yeah man thank you yeah i uh I love indie wrestling. I actually don't ever want to leave it. So I have goals and they've changed a lot. It used to be WWE. It's not anymore. I don't want to work there. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's understandable. Enough. <laughs> uh, so we uh, like I there. I want there to be a vibe that when someone offers you a contract on the indie scene that you really have to think about it because you're doing because the money on the indie scene is comparable. Um, you're getting all full creative control. You have a handle on where your bookings are. You don't have to miss a wedding because you can say no to that booking. You can't, if you're in WWE, you can choose to go to that Halloween party or that birthday party or take a weekend off or do a Twitch stream. Um, and so I want to make that... I just want to make it important. And uh, I think it's possible Absolutely. because a lot of people are feeling the same way now. And so, and we're all coming together. There's so many cool people on the Indies doing like wildly cool shit. And, uh, it's, it's possible, especially when things get back in full swing right now. Maybe people don't see the bigger picture. Um, but it's there. Well, Jackson, I have taken up a lot of your time. I'm sure we have, I cannot (laughs) thank you enough for hanging out with us uh, today. Um, before we get out of here, I was, I was hoping to kind of do a rapid fire 
just kind of throw some names of like Texas wrestlers at you and just kind of get a little bit. Cause that's one of the things I really want to do is kind of introduce people to a lot of these Texas wrestlers. Cause it's my hope to get as many of them up here to Kansas city, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in 2021 and then get, you know, the guys that wrestle around here, get them down there as well. So that's, that's yeah. uh, my hope. So let's do it. All right. Um, f- First, a couple guys that are really near and dear to my heart, and one especially to yours right now. Um, you just interviewed them uh, most recently on Jackson Talks, everybody. But uh, Ryan Remington and Tommy Becker and, and Jamie Aller uh, being the, being larger than life. Oh, yeah, they're the best team in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Jamie, I have, I have my own Jamie Aller stories that I, I hope to get to share someday with everybody because I, I just love that man dearly. And I miss of, of everybody. I don't get to see wrestle as much as I used to. Like he's one of the ones I miss the most. Um, I just I love Jamie Aller so much. <laughs> he's great. He's great at what he does. Yeah, passionate man. He's. I'm, I'll say against anybody. You know, managers aren't as big a deal as they used to be. But he's to me, he's the closest thing to like Bobby Heenan of anybody I've seen. And I I don't say that lightly. Like he's really good. He's a Very really good. really good manager and just. An incredible human being. Um, uh, Baby D, big fan of hers. I love her. Yeah, she's the best. Um, Izzy James and the Insidious One. I think they're more in Houston nowadays than they've been in Dallas, but they've been up there quite a bit too. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen uh, Izzy in a while. Um, I know he's going through a lot with losing his mom. Um, yeah. So shout out to him. Hope he he's doing well. But I think he's great. And that the pairing they have right now, I think they they finally figuring out like what direction they want to go to. So I think. I think uh, he's offered some good things. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's maybe one or two bookings away from people really noticing who he is. I, I, do, I, do, I'm, I know he's just kind of changed his character a little bit recently, and I hope maybe maybe that was part of it, and maybe that helps. But yeah, he's one of the, the best guys I've ever seen live. Like he's just amazing. I love him. Um, somebody who's near and dear to my heart in a different way, but Dave Sagan. <laughs> I like Dave, man. Um, it's. <laughs> What do you I, got? It was it's funny, like when he when he was part of the impact players a couple years ago, I there's no heel in, in wrestling that I've hated more than heel Dave Sagan. Um he won a uh empty arena match there at MPX wearing a cardigan sweater, and I thought that was the most vile thing a wrestler could do. I don't <laughs> I don't know what it was, if it was just where I was at at the time, but he did that. And I hated him so much for it. I would just boo him mercilessly anytime I saw Dave Sagan. And then, like, I move away and I find out, like, he was a huge Kevin Smith fan. So, like, we like the same movies and, you know, he likes games. And, like, I would have got along with Dave Sagan if I didn't hate him so much. You know? He sucked you in. Sucked you in too deep. He was was too good. He was too good. Um, Wesley Crane. Ooh, man. He's he's. I, when I first saw him wrestle, I was like, why is he so athletic? He just doesn't look like he should be. And then he's, like, extremely creative and unique. Um, we actually had, like, a like a match at MPX maybe, like, three weeks ago. He, he gave me a cutter through a door, which is not very exciting. Um, but, um, yeah, I like him a lot. He needs, to, he needs to stay in Texas more often than being in Oklahoma. But, yeah. I agree. His entrance is one of my favorites, too, of, of anybody. It's just it's – just the equal it's the perfect kind of level of unsettling mm-hmm. but it just it, it reels you in immediately um brent mckenzie and machico 
um, don't have any, uh, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't see Brett wrestle that often and I haven't seen Machko wrestle in a while, but I like both of them. Good call. Um, Chandler Hopkins. It's great. Dear friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Great. Love him. Um, we've, we've wrestled a lot. Our first match we had together, me and Chandler was awful. And, uh, we were, yeah, it was, aw- it was awful. I was like super excited to wrestle him. It was like maybe a year ago. Um, and we just like, nothing clicked. Like, obviously it wasn't that bad, but in my head it was like the worst match of all time. But we've had about four matches since then. Um, and now we have like really good chemistry and we're, we become really close friends. And, uh, he was don't you just life. love those matches where like to a fan, it's probably like, what do you mean? And then to you, it's just like, God, no, I fucking hated it. It was so bad. But then everybody else is like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love those. Yeah, he's a big homie now. So, nice. Um, Dimitri Alexandrov, the the bear fighter. I love him. He's one of my favorite people. He's so genuine and nice, and kind hearted and loving, and also a very good performer. And he sticks to his shtick pretty good. So that's. Mm-hmm. Cool. Hey, I need somebody else. I just I, w- I would like to see him wrestle more often. He's just he's a fun dude. Um, I don't. Are you? How much have you, like, wrestled with? Um, some of that, the, the, I guess, like Houston talent. I know there's a lot of people down there. I don't know how much, like Will Alday, for example, is somebody who I know has come up to Dallas a few times, but I don't know if you've wrestled him before or not. Uh, we were in a four-way once, but he was like six months in. Um, I like Will a lot. I think he's one of the best wrestlers in Texas. Um, I'm waiting for my one-on-one against him, but we haven't. I've wrestled Gino, um, yes. which was cool, um, but I haven't wrestled anyone else from there. I really want to wrestle Q because uh, I think yes. he's fantastic. I got to um, see him at a Lucha Pertal show before I moved, and yeah. it was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm thinking it'll happen in this Texas Grand Prix tournament, which is I think is filming this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I haven't. I want to wrestle Fuego again. I don't know if you're going to mention him, but I haven't. I wrestled him like four years ago in Oklahoma when we were both terrible, um, and now he's like really good, and I've become average. And so, uh, <laughs> I think it'll be a good match. Fuego's a, oh. he he and Moonshine like are are a couple big deals here, along with Gary J. So Great. I would, I I would like to see. Yeah, Fuego's been up to Kansas City a number of times mm-hmm. ever since like the NWL days. So yeah, yeah, that's Kansas City knows Fuego. Um, and then last one I'll give you uh, and get you on your ways. Uh, Barrett Brown, he's amazing. I mean, um, I uh, I hope he uh, that uh, New Japan really uh, sticks their teeth with him and uh, and really gives him a shot at something. Because um, uh, that Gabriel Kid guy that's doing a lot of stuff with them right now. Um, I wrestled him in the UK and he's awesome. And now he's like, you know, getting like tag matches against Okada, which is like wild. That's huge. Uh, yeah. so he, could thank, he could thank me for putting him over in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh, I think earlier this year he tagged with one of the Regal twins who are from here. Yeah. So, they're great too. Yeah. I hope to. So, uh, with that, I, I hope we get you up here in 2021. Mm-hmm. That's going to be one of my personal goals is to scream at every promotion up here. Cause I saw <laughs> wrestled in like the St. Louis area, like four years ago, but you've never yeah. been on like the Kansas city side. No, I really want to wrestle at journey pro. The shows look so cool. Aren't they? It's oh, a God. blast. So cool. Yeah. So yeah, Mike's um, been, Mike's been pimping the old, the since retired venue, uh, this whole, this whole time. Oh yeah. My, my virtual background. background yeah. Oh yeah. I see the logo behind you. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can't wait till we get a new venue and, and get back. Yeah, up I running. know. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Aaron Williams just posted a picture from one of his journey matches, and I was like, "Yeah, now the venue's dead. Isn't that great?" Ha ha ha. But but journey will be back, so I'm sure it'll happen. Looking forward to it. Just gonna um, enjoy it while so, it's there. So Jackson, before we get out of here, uh, I th- we've kind of mentioned them already, but but please mention your your social medias and and websites where. People can find you, promote you, support you. At. Plug your shit, brother. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty active on uh, on Instagram and Twitter, which is just at Jackson Stone. Um, at Jackson Stone with a little underscore on Twitter. Um, but uh, if you want to know any more about You Are Loved or mental health tools, tips, resources, how to get help, you just want to chat or you want to share your story um, via the video platform, um, go to uh, youareloveedlife.com. Um, or you can just DM me. Um, I answer all DMs um, all the time, so I'm always available. Um, but yeah, hit me up. Um, I can answer any questions. I'm very good at getting back to people, and uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Uh, Kevin, you've been hella quiet this whole time. I've been taking so everything you- in. No, this has been yeah. a fantastic. <laughs> no, because like I said, I don't really have much to contribute in this. Far. You know, I've never seen you wrestle. I've I've followed you ever since Mike has put you over. Like you know, when he was still living in Texas, he would just say, "Hey, you got to follow Jackson Stone. You got to follow this, that. You know, these other people." And I followed you just by that, and then learning your tweets and just everything about your life and you know and what you've shared. It's it's been beautiful. You know, I I watched one of your podcast interviews earlier uh, with Solo Darling. And it just hit my hit my emotions, you know, like I love that stuff. And I love I love what you have to say. And like, you know, where you say about conversations, conversations are everything. And I wish this world would listen more than just talk over each other, you know. So but I yeah, I just I wanted to let you guys get your stuff in because, like I said, you have much more. And I just don't want to make an ass out of myself. I just I really think like, no, I'm really grateful you came on to the show tonight. Um, I'm really glad I finally get to meet you. And like Mike said, I really hope we get you up to Kansas City soon because. Man, like I said, it's yeah, we could use you <laughs> and yeah. and other yeah. you know other positive. I think the whole folks. world could use more Jackson Stone after speaking to him for merely just over an hour, um, <laughs> sir. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been a very new experience for me, getting to meet uh, more people in the biz this way. So uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, and thank you for everything that you've been doing outside of the ring too. I know I brought that up earlier, but man, as somebody who like as as another wrestler it like it really does do something for you to see other people other peers of yours whether you've met them or not how whatever you know it does good to see your peers uh doing things that you know that that need to be done doing you know doing more and it inspires me and motivates me to do more myself however i can uh, if I could ever figure that out, so you will. Um, you will. It's all. It's and, all journey. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, you're you're a man on a mission, and you are doing a f- phenomenal job at uh, fulfilling that mission. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to meet you in person, yes, and then yes. one day, maybe if I'm lucky, share the ring. Yes, all all the above. I appreciate those words, man. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. Yeah, you know our, our social media is uh, at 3B Wrestling Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know where to find us. So, um, and then, you know, send us comments, questions, anything you want to send our way. Uh, if you need help getting in touch with Jackson, come our way. We'll, we'll be happy to direct traffic towards him for it. So, uh, again, Jackson, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking your time out today. 
uh, this was awesome. Um, I hope we have you on again in the future and uh, can can bullshit and have a good time and talk some more wrestling. I, I look forward to it. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. Everybody take care. And as always, later, nerds. <laughs> We all know that the only way to top the perfect cup of Dunkin' Cold Brew is with velvety new sweet cold foam from Dunkin'. But how do you top that? With an exclusive offer for DD Perks members. Get a medium chocolate stout cold brew with sweet cold foam, cold brew with sweet cold foam, or cold brew for $3. It's the perfect deal to top off the perfect top to the perfect cup of Dunkin' Cold Brew. Doesn't that sound great? Not a DD Perks member? Join today via the Dunkin' app. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. 911, what's your emergency? Una camioneta. Una camioneta que se cruzan las vías. Y el tren. Ay, Dios mío. Señora, ¿me está diciendo que un tren le pegó a una camioneta? Sí. Yo pensé que quería cruzar. El hijo iba rápido, creo, y después... No puedes saber a qué velocidad viene un tren. Por eso están los señalamientos de advertencia. Obedécelos. Alto. El tren no para. Mensaje de Netza.